they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! yes. It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode. And what an interview we have today. We are bringing back two of our favourite guests on this show, Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt. Curlers from Australia represented Australia in the mixed doubles curling in Beijing. We had them on last year, not long after the Tokyo Olympics, where of course at that point they hadn't qualified for the Olympics. So it was a little bit more about their history in the sport, how they got into it and their hopes for Beijing. Obviously, since then, qualified, went to the Olympics. Curling took Australia by storm. So this is a great chat with both Tali and Dean. Very open and honest about their time, sort of what was going through their minds or all those kerfuffle moments with the COVID testing and were they going to compete, were they not? They were getting sent home, then they weren't. Everything else, how it was, being Olympians, moments they thought they were Olympians and everything else along those lines. And I've also got a bone to pick with Dean and Tali. So we'll find out just exactly what that is. And I'll say the highlight of this interview, the two highlights of this interview, is we talk about Oscar Ericsson, and you know how much we like Oscar Ericsson, and Bing Dwen Dwen is a big talking point in this interview. Get excited for the Bing Dwen Dwen. Here is our chat with Australian Olympic curlers, Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt. So excited to be able to welcome our next guest back to the show. We had them on several months ago in the lead up to the Beijing Olympics. Since then, qualified for the Olympics, went to the Olympics, did well at the Olympics, and now they're back from the Olympics. They made history as Australia's first ever curlers, finished 10th at the Olympics in mixed doubles curling. But not only that, they set the entire country on fire for the sport of curling ever since then. Everybody in Australia has literally been curling. No one has stopped. It's just been curling, curling, curling. It's been incredible. And we're here to talk about their experiences at the Olympics and everything else in between. It's a pleasure to welcome back Tyler Gill and Dean Hewitt. Guys, first of all, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to see both your faces again. (laughs) Thanks for having us again. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's just exciting to be a curling fan in Australia. Did you ever imagine that when you guys started this sport and this journey to the Olympics that we'd be sitting here post-Olympics and everybody is just obsessed with curling. This is this is what you wanted, right? Australia is a curling nation all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's nice to see the impact that we've had from being at the Olympics and how much excitement is around curling now. I mean, it's definitely a big goal of ours is to just get exposure like, and grow it for the sport in Australia. So it's good to see that it's slowly having that impact and hopefully that just keeps getting more and more each year. Dean, you've been doing it ever since you got back. I've been seeing your social medias. You just, you just can't get away from the ice house. Like everybody just wants a part of you left, right and center. I think Tyler, at least I saw you had a bit of R and R whereas Dean, you're just straight back to it. You're straight back to curling still. Yeah. I was straight back into it. Um, but it's funny because every time I've been the ice house, I've been teaching people how to curl and I've been curling myself. So <laughs> I've just been there. I'll, I'll probably throw two rocks and sweep about two meters of the ice 
uh, for the whole session. So, uh, but it's good. It's good teaching that kind of new generation all those people that are keen to play. And um, yeah, it is, it is nice to kind of take a step back and not have to throw every single day for the next few months. <laughs> I, I have to just quickly touch on before we talk about the Olympics, because there's a whole range of things yeah. to talk about there, but obviously we talked to you, you qualified Olympics, simple journey. There was nothing else in between that. Um, that qualifying <laughs> tournament, I want to say I stayed up, it was at I think two, three in the morning, I think it was here in Australia, but I was laying in bed on my phone, staring at this screen. The first time I think in my life I've stayed up to two in the morning watching curling, but it was it was fantastic. And I think you obviously had a lot of people back home watching it, friends and family and everything along those lines. Just, uh, I'll start with you, Dean, for this one. The qual- the moment of qualifying, but then was it more of seeing that reaction from the friends and family and everybody who had obviously supported you along that way that kind of was able to share in that moment with you in virtual world, but just that really made it, I guess, hit home that this was a, obviously a big deal to qualify for the Olympics? Yeah, in the moment, it was actually quite surreal. Um, I don't know how to describe how I felt when it happened and I couldn't quite get my head around it actually, um, but it was pretty cool. It was an amazing reaction we had from the coaches too and they're all stoked. And um, yeah, the amount of people back home were just incredible that stayed up to all hours of that night to watch that game. And um, yeah, it, it's just incredible the response that we got from so many people and and the media attention we had too. And um, yeah, it's so great. We have so many curlers that are kind of coming out of the woodwork, but also the new curlers, which have never tried it before and who want to try it now. So the supporter base is growing and I think it's fantastic for the sport too. Tali, I want to mention that when we talk about the stuff to the Olympics that, I mean, Dean as well, but both of you just so cool, calm under pressure with everything that happens in every single one of your matches. I think the most emotion I saw from you at all through everything that I've watched over the last few months was obviously when you qualified, Tali. I mean, emotional experience for both of you but I mean how how were your emotions going through at that point and then as similar to Dean with all the reaction and feedback you got afterwards yeah I mean like Dean said it was just such a surreal moment and um it's kind of like oh my gosh we did it and it's like I don't know how to feel because it's just so many different emotions and I think after we got back and um we actually went back to Canada after the Olympic qualification event so um, you know, we were Skyping with family and FaceTiming, but, um, there was a reaction video, which I think was on a few different social media platforms of my family in their pajamas. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just seeing their reaction and all the different, there were so many different types of reactions and it made me like really cry. And I was like, I watched it literally every day leading up to the Olympics, just because it felt like they were there with me and, um, yeah, it was good to see that. So, and it felt like they'd been on the journey too. So it was nice to, to have that reaction and yeah, so many, so many supporting people from Australia and also other countries that know our journey from the curling community. I was going to ask that based on what you're just saying there, Tali. So given that you've it's no doubt a tight knit community, particularly in the mixed doubles, world what was the reaction like I mean through some of these other countries to see that you qualified through your journey and created this history for Australia to go to the Olympics yeah so after we qualified we got back to the hotel at the in Netherlands and just the the welcome that we got from the other teams that we literally just competed against they were just so so proud and you just felt the love from them even though it was their dream too it, it was just so nice to have that reception and 
um, you know, they're just so, so happy for us that, that we were able to do that. So, I mean, as we've said before, the curling community is so special in that way where everyone's your friend and they're there to wish you the best. And we definitely got that and it felt, it was awesome. Yeah. At what point do you then each have to sit down and with all the hoopla of qualifying the celebration and just go, okay, we've, we've done what we need to do. We, we, We got the business done. Now we're gonna we're gonna focus on that little tournament in February in China. I mean, do you sort of take a little bit to soak in the celebration before having that conversation, or is it literally straight back to work? Okay, we've now got two months to, to prepare for the Olympics. Essentially, maybe I'll start Dean with you for that one. Yeah, we've got some small, almost micro breaks uh, through that period, kind of around Christmas and right after we finished. But you know, as soon as we finished, it was bang straight onto media calls and TV stations and um, all that stuff. So we kind of had to start thinking about the process then and um you know things like oh what's our uniform size what do you have to do for uniforms and all these little things which come up and forms you have to sign and a lot of things you had to do pretty quickly after that event um but yeah we did kind of take a bit of time off the ice which was nice just to soak it all in and um you know we've been training for three months flat out um on ice so we thought well it's probably time to have a bit of a break you know i was pretty sore after that event and um yeah, so that was kind of good to, to, I suppose, get away from the on ice. But yeah, the off ice still kind of went chugging along. But yeah, I think the, the in terms of planning and actually having to focus on training for that next Olympics, you know, we, we did take a little bit of a break, but you don't get a, a whole lot of break between de- December and February. Like there's not much time there. So we had to kind of keep the foot down a little bit. I think it's one of those rare, rare moments where you qualified, I want to say, as, as even though you're saying it's obviously such a close little period to February compared to some of the other winter Olympians, that was quite a far way away from I think you were basically the first officially confirmed Australian Olympians for, for Beijing because then it obviously flowed in pretty quickly. But the, the one thing that I think I could imagine it would help in a weird way with that attention that it brought is does that help train you then for February when even more people want to talk to you? Because I, I can't imagine you're probably both, that used to getting a lot of attention, particularly in Australia. I know we talked a lot about that last time when it came to the World Championships the other year, but Tali, maybe I'll, I'll start with you with this one. Like, Did that help, I guess, the practice of the fact that you've got a few more eyes on you now at a tournament like this than what you used to back home? Yeah, I think we definitely got a lot of practice um, with media and stuff like that. So I think we sort of, and it does help when, you know, a lot of the questions are kind of similar. So you can like tweak it here and there and sort of add in different things and decide when you want to ramble on a bit more. Um, so, yeah, we definitely got a lot of practice and it's just nice. I think we just really enjoyed sharing our story and our journey with um, all the media that we got in Australia. I think it's very, it's a very unique sort of journey, um, but I guess a lot of other winter sports in Australia have you know, it's always nice to know what they went through because there's always so many different pathways to get to that level. So it was nice to share that with Australia. And uh, I think definitely all the media helped when we got over there. It was very, um, very crazy. <laughs> I didn't realise how many eyes were on you. So it was very good practice <laughs> for the thing, what we had to go through at the Olympics. <laughs> Dean, obviously feel similar to what Tali's saying there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was kind of crazy that first night where we qualified and then bam, we're up and down into hotel rooms to get um 
to do a video, then come back down and celebrate and then go back up. Literally every 10 minutes, we're heading up to do another interview. So it was, it was a crazy night, um, but it was good to kind of get in that rhythm and sharing our stories, Tali said. And, but I think, yeah, once we got to the Olympics and we did, you know, the big media thing at the start and we're going outside and, um, you know, we go try and find channel seven to chat to and say, Oh, it might be just channel seven, <laughs> channel 10, have a chat with them. And we go find them. And we see this massive group of people like, Oh, all those reporters there for someone else. So we go to find channel seven and, <laughs> and they're standing there and they're like, oh, okay, you know, ready to go. We're about to be stationed. And he's like, see all those cameras over there. We're going over there. So there's about 20 cameras all ready to go to hear about the story and all the <laughs> things that had been going on for the first couple of days of when we arrived. And um, yeah, that was like, yeah, a big wake up call to, you know, it's not just Australia, which is interested too. It's like multiple countries interested in your story and, yeah, the, the questions came thick and fast and yeah, yeah it really, it really got us going, but it was good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great way to kind of get straight into the media side of things and having, you know, help, help with media too was, was great over there because we'd never really had someone to help us with media before. It sounds like at one point there you just got so used to it. You're like, oh, NBC wants to talk. No, like, can we push them back to three? Like, I was going to get something from the village at the moment. I'm hungry. Like, they, they can wait. You know, Jimmy Fallon, nah, nah, nah Thursday. Thursday at two. Uh, yeah, I think we definitely we were like, all right, who's next? <laughs> it's just kind of like, <laughs> yep, next. Um but it was fun. I, I actually enjoyed it at the end. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, Dean, I totally forgot about that. We, I felt really rude because there was the cameras and they're like, oh, can you guys like walk again? We want to capture that. And I was, we were like, oh, we've got to do something else first. Sorry. <laughs> it was with them. Like, oh, I just was like, oh my gosh, that's for us. So wow. yeah, that was funny. I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> what are the, what are the questions? Just, um, you know, asking for a friend. Uh, that uh, you get asked too many times that you're sick of. I know I asked a bunch of them to you, obviously, when we had you on last year, the standard welcome to curling. Hey, we've got Australian curling questions. But are there ones since then that if maybe you get one more person ask you one of those questions, you're going to be like, nope, no more, I'm done. See you later. Bye-bye. I always get muddled up on how to explain curling Um, just because – the simplest way is to relate it to lawn bowls, but we're really trying to get away from that. And then when I explain it in a different way, in like a total roundabout way, that doesn't make any sense. They're like, Oh, so it's like lawn bowls. And I'm like, uh, well, the scoring is, but nothing else, I guess. (laughs) So I always, you know, if I get asked about how to play curling, I'll probably, you know, I need to, I really need to find another way how to explain it because it's definitely a question we get asked a lot and will be, asked a lot again in the future yeah and definitely questions around like um (laughs) how did you get into the sport i mean that that's pretty that's an obvious question being such a niche a niche um sport um you don't really expect people to get into the sport so um that's really common one um Mm. what else do we get do you both get uh, like this is a uh, because when i when you google you one of the first things that comes up with is dean hewitt tyler gill relationship so is that like a question that people are always asking like are you two to get like because i can imagine that's just people's curiosity right we actually haven't been asked that yeah wow really really well you guys aren't we're we're comparing been... this right now like you're not so i mean simple we're not like, no yeah exactly yeah. like get it over and done with confirmed go, we're not stop yeah, googling it's, it like it's, it's usually it's one not, of those weird things it's usually not in media that they ask that it's usually in like 
the chat. The shitty podcast yeah. like this. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's, it's honestly not even that either. It's often just the chat before you begin the mm. interview. It's like, so are you together? Because they want to get the background so they don't ask something awkward mm. during the interview. So they never actually true. ask it during the interview. Which it's, it's one of those true. funny things. Somebody shared a meme during the Olympics about um, figure skating where it was like it's the media's job to tell us in the pairs figure skating whether these two are together, are like best friends or like a you know a future divorce couple or something like that. So I think the same thing should be done for, for curling, but we've, we've cleared that up. And also an exclusive answer on off the podium that we've actually <laughs> – so I'm, I'm actually glad that I asked that question because I assumed that was something everyone would ask you, but cool exclusive and off the podium <laughs> people can stop googling that right now but uh yeah. it's it's actually it's actually funny too because um when we had you guys on it was sort of one of these things where you'd obviously done interviews but it sort of hadn't really been something that you would had done a lot of so I, I found it interesting in watching a lot of the the media and as you were both saying sort of getting asked those similar questions along the way but it, it's also it was really great to see particularly a lot of other podcasts I know that you did sort of uh getting on board and, and I guess learning more about you because I guess it's these type of interviews where you might not be getting the attention as you're getting say on channel seven or the project or something like that but you can go more in depth into your careers and things like that and Dean I think the one I just watched on the project of sweeping girls off their feet you know shitty project questions that we don't ask on this show we just ask if you're together that's more important um so i mean it's kind of the real gosh <laughs> the real gosh you know you know the freaking uh daily mail are going to have that on their front page news.com.au it's going to the, the headline tomorrow is going to be like burning question about dean hilton tyler you finally answered um, so you can have that for free news.com.au. But um, I don't even know what the question is of this, apparently. I'm just rambling. But um, podcast, more fun, talking, uh, D, Dolly, answer it. Well, I've lost the it, point. It, it's it's true, though, because you look at, like, a lot of the TV stations or radio things and they could literally be, like, two or three questions. And between us, you might even add sort of, like, one question between, like, each. So overall, it's it's not a whole um, lot of information you kind of share and it's, it's sometimes just some, you know, questions which you can find answered anywhere else on any other interview. So that it, you are right about the podcast. You get into more detail and, you know, learn about a few different things about us. Which also I can guarantee to both of you, you are getting asked these questions. Even I'm asking you these questions right now, that if you were curlers in Canada, you're not getting asked those questions. I, I don't think that John, John and Rachel are getting asked. Are you guys together? Um, like, like they're, 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 they're getting the serious, like, super curling s questions. Like, oh, on the fourth end, why didn't you curl down the left point to get to the house? Like, so, I mean, <laughs> that's that unique aspect of being Australian curlers. You get the unique questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think also these kind of interviews, you really get to know the person, like the person behind the athlete kind of thing. So, I think it's cool and um, I remember last time we did like rapid fire questions with you and I like <laughs> totally blanked on all of them. So I'm like prepared if we have to do that again. Oh, okay. <laughs> ben is not prepared. <laughs> Shit, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you two have just been to an Olympics. You've got all this media training, the world's on you. I'm just still sitting in my bedroom in my pyjamas <laughs> asking you a question. Nothing's changed for me. Um, so, wow, I've got to, I've got to, got to be prepared and, and ready to go. One thing that... I always like to ask our guests who have gone to the Olympics, it's those moments of when do you feel that you are an Olympian? So for both of you, was it that moment you qualified? Dean, you were mentioning about things like uniform sizing that. Was it when you got the uniform? 
when you showed up to Beijing. I mean, to both of you, I mean, it might be different for both of you. I don't know. When did you both maybe feel that, okay, I'm an Olympian? Oh, um, did you want to go first? Yeah. Um, You can think about yours. Um, There's probably two moments. I think number one, where you go onto the ice for the first time and there's Olympic rings on the rocks, Olympic rings in the ice, Olympic rings along every friggin' wall that's there. Like it's everywhere. Um, But I think the other time, sorry, darling, but was at the opening ceremony, (laughs) Um, walking out there and like, you literally just turn the corners, big bright lights and um, yeah, just the massive rings that you walk underneath. Like it was just the most surreal feeling you can have. And it just shivers down the spine, even thinking about it. Um, but yeah, that was pretty special. And I think just to, to hang out and see all the other athletes with you who, you, you know, see it all the time at all these other events online but you never actually get to see in person because you know you're kind of in your curling bubble you never get to go to the ski and snowboard bubble or anything like that so yeah it was kind of cool to to catch up with all those other people too yeah i think for me it was a couple like we um got our on ice uniforms when we were in beijing and so opening them up and like we'd seen the design online and I was so excited because it had like the Aboriginal artwork and I love the story behind that. So, um, and being able to represent that, um, was really, really awesome. And, you know, just seeing that in person was really cool and putting it on, I was like, Ooh, this is happening. (laughs) And then the time where it kind of really sunk in was when we had just done the big press conference and we went to the venue and checked it all out and we were walking onto the ice level and the Scottish like intro to like when you're walking around for the first time, the Scottish intro was playing and it just felt so real. And Dean's right. Like everywhere you look, there's Olympic rings everywhere. It's like, we are definitely here and we're definitely playing. So that was really, really cool. And um, yeah, it's kind of like all the time for me, I was like, is it real? Is it, you know, it's happening. Um, so that was really, really, really cool. And, um, yeah, just putting on the uniform and walking out and seeing the venue and being like, yeah, this is, this is where we're going to play tomorrow. Yeah. The Australian uniform I think was, was great at the Olympics, but mm. I, I think you guys had the best one. Like, I mean, no disrespect to some of our skiers and snowboarders <laughs> and that. I mean, they were great uniforms, but I think that, just yours just really popped and really stood out. And as you're saying, Tyler, that with the sort of the Aboriginal artwork on it was fantastic. But even just, you know, the green or the gold. And I, I loved every single match I was watching. I'm like, oh, they're wearing the green today. They're wearing the gold. And then I don't know if you guys are uh, superstitious, but I'm like, oh, they haven't done too well in the gold so far. So hopefully the green will bring some luck. So like things like that. So, um, I mean, just on that, I'll start with you, Dean, with that. Was it a case of you got to choose every single day what one you were using or was it more of a, like, this will clash with the Swedes today so we can't wear the gold, so we have to wear the green, something like that? No, so it's all based on the rock colour you're going to be throwing. So if right. we throw red rocks, we have to throw, we have to wear a dark colour. So it has to be our green uniform. And then if we have the yellow rocks, we have to wear a light colour, which is either white or yellow. So, yeah, it's all dictated by that. So, yeah, then you literally don't clash with the opposition anyway. It's actually Simple. down to the timers more than anything. Because if you wear the same color, the timers up at the top can't really pick out who's who and they can't work yeah. out where you're standing and when they start and stop the clock. So, right. Uh, yeah. 
So was, and was that then? Were you superstitious about that? Were you thinking to yourself, like particularly in saying those early matches, there was like, oh shit, you know, we need to get out of this color because you know, or does that not play into either of your minds? I'm really not a superstitious person. Uh, yeah, I've never really had a superstition. And the color, it's more just a <laughs> probably very basic person, but the color, I'm like, this looks really good. Or I'm like, mm, you know, <laughs> I feel like the yellow one really popped on on the TV and with photos. Like I was looking through the photos the other day. I was like, damn, that yellow one really popped and it looks amazing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I think the, the artwork stood out so much more on the yellow uniform. So it was really, yeah, I, I love the uniforms and just I look at them all the time but in my cupboard. I'm like, oh, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because so many right? athletes from other sports were coming up to us like, we love your, your uniforms. We wish we had something like that. And they were like asking people from the ARC, <laughs> why aren't we getting uniforms that look like that? <laughs> so, yeah, we're pretty lucky with those. And, um, yeah, got a lot of compliments even from the other curlers that were there. Fantastic. Because, yeah, you, you get – like multiple suitcase and even the suitcases are branded too, right? It's not like you just get your standard Kmart suitcase. You've got your AOC carbon sport suitcase that you're coming home with and everything like that. How many, how many suitcases do you end up coming home with? And now they all just fill with your uniforms. Uh, so when we went home, we had the two suitcases, but we're getting two more shipped to us. Wow. <laughs> so we have four all together like that. We've got coming home with us and, Basically, yeah, it's mostly uniforms because we pack sort of like the bare minimum in Canada. It was a lot of curling stuff originally because we've been overseas for like five months. So, um, yeah, basically I packed all of the Olympic stuff in the bags that I was bringing home and all of my regular stuff in the ones that are coming back in the in the freight. So, yeah, four bags and I'm not a happy person if I have to unpack. I don't really like <laughs> enjoy that. So got to do it four times, unfortunately. Wow. So Tyler's just going around wrapping all the Australian gear right now because she has no yeah. normal clothes. Just <laughs> uh, an excuse to go locked. shopping. <laughs> but but, but, but that, that helps you both. I can't imagine that, Tyler. You just you walk down the local shopping centre and, you know, oh, look at me in my Australian Olympic uniform and just everyone, hey, you're that curler. Oh, and <laughs> here, have some free milk. Um, like, I mean, it kind of probably helps you at the moment, right? Oh, I don't, I don't wear it in public. <laughs> Not that kind of person. Yes. Um, <laughs> now that you get free milk, now that I've put that idea in your head, now you're welcome. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. So that's actually given me an idea. Get some free milk out of my trips to Coles or Willies. <laughs> Always I want know. that free Willies, milk, right? Willies, Willies, Willies. Willies. Um, <laughs> official, official sponsor of the Australian Olympic team. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Willies, but, always uh, Willies. I've been out like three times with the gear on because one, when I came home from the airport and people noticed you because I was like, oh, I'll just go to the bakery and get my favourite sandwich. Like, need to get favourite sandwich. And I walked in and I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I'm wearing my full gear for the media <laughs> stuff before it. And you do get recognised. People actually come up to you now and, and say hello and, like I was at the ice rink the other day and was just walking through like the little shopping precinct that's next to it. And someone yells out my name and says, congrats. And you're like, it's just so foreign. <laughs> I don't know if I like it, but it's just very, very weird having people recognize you on the street. So it's just a, a true indicator that don't wear your uniform on the street because people recognize <laughs> you. <laughs> but has it happened when you're not in your uniform, Dean? Like has somebody recognized no. you out of it? Not yet? No. Right. No, not okay. in public. So, at the ice rink, yeah, but not at 
not in public. I want to try that out. Maybe I need to get my hands on some of the uniform and just see if people think I'm you. I mean, we're very similar looking, of course, Dina, but I just, I mean, maybe it's just a thing where, oh, you're in a, an Olympic uniform. Oh, you're an Olympian. Boom. I, I loved you in, in the luge. You were great. I, I watched every minute of it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should give it a go. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. if that, I, I'd wear an off-the-podium T-shirt, but people are like, oh, that shows shit. I don't listen to that. Like, you know, <laughs> just, that, that, that's terrible. The thing actually, what, talking about uniforms, the one thing that I always loved during the Olympics, particularly with you, Dean, was that I knew shit was getting real when you removed the jacket. Like, you, I swear you started every <laughs> single match with the jacket on, and then by, like, the third end, the jacket was off. Like, and I'm, like, thinking, right, Dean's into this. Dean's getting involved right now. Like, were there just times where you thought to yourself, maybe I shouldn't wear the jacket because I am getting myself worked up a little bit? Or was it was that strategy? Let's show the other team, all right, the jacket's off, the the, the muscles are out now, we're getting, we're getting deep into this. Uh, it's more so just sweating something fierce. Um, <laughs> it was so warm in there that I just had to take the jacket off, you know, um i found that most games i really could have started without the jacket overall but i i just wore it for the um little presentation to start off the game and i just always forgot to take it off before that first end so sometimes it was literally tally's first throw and i'd sweep it the whole way and be like yep i'm good jacket <laughs> jacket done but yeah i've always awesome. thought as well because you get all like the snow gear as well you get big snow jacket ski pants everything like that i was like if i went to the snow and wore that and went skiing Imagine what people would think, this guy that's going down the slopes, stacking every like 20 metres. How is this guy an Olympian? I think, yeah, I should give it a go one day just for a bit of a laugh. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. That works. Yeah. And, and then, then that way you can also claim free shit. You could be like, yeah, I'm totally an Australian Olympic skier. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, you know, they don't have to know what sport you're from. You went to the Olympics. No. It's kind of all blends together look at us like half an hour into this interview i barely even touched anything to do we're talking about clothes we're, we're talking about getting free milk See, i'm trying to break all these oh the bloody questions we get all the time this is why that's why we're going off the podium to get this uh this type these type of questions i will talk about now the olympics particularly the beginning uh arriving in beijing <laughs> bit of complications um how how can you even begin to describe that for both of you? Tali, I'll start with you because obviously, you know, you test positive. You kind of have to get isolated. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine after everything that you've gone through to get to the Olympics, to qualify for the Olympics, and then you arrive and then there's this chance that it might get taken away from you straight away. I mean, just can you describe how that whole period felt, particularly when you're in isolation and everything that came from that? Yeah, so after I heard the result, I was kind of in shock. It's like, oh, was, you know, what the heck? Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like throughout the day. And obviously I, I had to isolate, so I was kind of like in my own head. And for most of it, I think I stayed pretty positive, but then it sort of hit me and I was like, uh, this could be over before we even begin. <laughs> And I just like, I really broke down to be honest. Like I just was in my room and just like crying and I was looking at all the, all the gear and I hadn't even unpacked it. Cause I was just like, I can't even like look at the gear. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just felt like, ah, oh. you know, it, it's just all over and we might not even begin, but I was like, you know what? No, we're going to be playing like, against the US, you know, have a good game. And so I just was like, 
I called my family and I was like unpacking my stuff with them and like really enjoying that sort of experience. Cause that's sort of like something that you want to enjoy as well when you get there. And so I was like, you know, this is not gonna, this is not gonna get to, to me. This is not gonna define my experience or the campaign. And I think also I really have to thank the team. I spoke with quite, quite a lot of people that day about, you know, just trying to understand the process and, understand you know all the different outcomes and talk that through and the doctors were amazing and just just you know at providing information but also just helping me sort of calm down about the whole situation and just be that voice to be like you know it's all going to be okay and obviously I was on the phone a lot with Dean and um, just sort of going through it because we were both going through it but I guess in a different sort of way so you know I wasn't after I had a bit of a mental breakdown I really wasn't that concerned I knew it would all work out just because I had so much reassurance and I just felt like I flicked a switch and was like nope this is not this is not it you know we're going to be out there competing so um and you know it all worked out after that for a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah Dean were you Um, were you isolated as well kind of and what was your kind of take on how everything was going in your feelings at throughout that period yeah, so we had to isolate as well until we kind of received more information about what our status would be. Um, and yeah, so we were, we were isolating for that most of that day, I think, at least. Um, so yeah, I think the hardest thing for us is we couldn't go in and give Tally a hug. I mean, like we couldn't actually go see her or do anything like that. And so everything was over the call. And yeah, it was just a lot of calls to different people working out what the situation would be for Tali and, and the whole team. But yeah, we're pretty confident, you know, Tyler tested negative so many times before the, um, before leaving for China anyway, that we, we knew that it'd just be shedding and, um, yeah, we just had to, you know, wait it out and just hopefully the, the following tests had come back negative, which they did and, um, were able to play. So it was a lot of just trying to bring yourself back to we're playing and focusing on performance rather than, you know, think, thinking the worst and think, Oh, I'm preparing yourself for what if I can't play because really that doesn't help anything. It's not going to change the situation as it is, but if we can go out there and be ready for that first game, regardless of what the situation is, um, then at least we are happy with whatever the result will be in that first game and the first few games for that matter. Did that ultimately that whole period, did, do you feel that affected you in, in the first game against the, the US or was that sort of so quickly out of your mind by the time you hit the ice that that was in the back of your mind and it didn't even play a part into that match? Yeah, honestly, I didn't even think about it. I like by the time we got to the venue to warm up, I was like, enough, like it's all been normal. <laughs> Just so weird because normally it, um, things sort of like that kind of like linger in my head, but I was really just like, okay, got the negative results. We got to do the media. What's next? What's next? What's next? Like park it, move on. So I really, um, without being like, mm, I felt like we, we just handled it like such chance. And we were just like, great, you know, we're out here and we're going to bring the fire. And I feel like we did and we were right in it and, had the shot for the win and unfortunately didn't come off. But yeah, I felt like we really parked it and just came out firing and just, I mean, that was a fun game. I, they're such a fun team and it was a little bit of a, 
a playoff against the against the girls because we were just like Vicky was on fire and I felt really good out there and you know the guys are playing amazing run backs and yeah it was just a great game and really fun and a great way to start especially after all the drama <laughs> which I got to say probably the highest rated curling match in Australian history let's be honest uh, I mean Channel 7 aired Eddie the Eagle before uh, that came on so uh, everybody was tuning in to watch Hugh and then obviously uh, pop on comes you guys uh, for curling but it was it was such a great match. And this is coming from someone who probably has not watched as many curling matches as some other people in his life. But I honestly, I was like, yep, 5-3, you guys have got this in the bag. Uh, absolutely. This is no way you can lose this. Uh, this is going to be great. Perfect start. Here we go, Australian curling. And then obviously it came down to basically the last throw. Dean, I obviously I, I'd, I'd message you. I'd let you know I'd met your dad working at Channel Seven. I, I'd spoken to your great guy Steve. We'll talk about him. But um, one of the <laughs> conversations I had with him, he mentioned to me that there always seems to be something with you two against the US. That it's kind of almost like a, a team that you, you come up against, and it just it, it never seems to happen. What what is it about USA that you come against in these tournaments, and it just always this seems to happen? I don't know what it is. Like I've played. You know, one one with mum and one with Tali at World Championships. And, you know, both of those, we had the shot for the win, whether it was the last end or the extra end. And then coming up against them at the Olympics again, it was last end, having that shot for the win. Like, there's something about it. I don't know what it is, but we always <laughs> have such good battles against them and always in really good positions to, to beat them. So, you know, I think it's just... Uh, a matter of time before we actually just, you know, go on, on the other side of things and, and can knock them off. <laughs> That's what we want, right? You always got to beat, beat America. But I mean, Tal, you were mentioning obviously like sort of that battle with, with Vicky. I know we talked a lot in our interview last time about the strategy and kind of what you're both saying at either of those ends and how unique curling is that we can hear that. But when, when they call in the coach and, and you can, I don't know how much of it you can hear, obviously we're watching it on TV. We can hear a lot more of it, but are you both kind of, thinking to yourself like oh shit this isn't good or oh no Vicky don't do that that's bullshit you're not gonna you're not gonna pull that off or like how does how does that work when it comes to knowing what they're doing because it's not like a game of soccer where you can counter what they're doing you've kind of just in the the laps of the god at that point and hoping that what they're saying isn't gonna come together and that she's gonna fuck it up or something like that No, I think I have the mindset that every time they make a call, a call on what shot they're going to make, they're going to they're going to make it and make it really good. Because we've spoken a lot about the sort of challenge mindset, and I love the challenge of they just threw a good shot, and I'm like, okay, we're going to throw it even better than what that team just threw. So I really like that sort of ch- challenge mindset, and you always hope that the other team's going to make their shot so that you can one up them <laughs> um so yeah like I think that's sort of how we think and um definitely I think that's uh, what I used to think when I was a bit younger player I was like oh I hope they miss <laughs> yeah, so it's easier for us and especially uh back then not, not as much experience in that kind of thing so but yeah now Dean and I have such a awesome challenge mindset and really just want to outplay our opponents all the time so that's kind of where we're at now. Dean, similar to what Tali's saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what I had like a sports psych a few years back say, you know, if you're given the shot to, you know, win a game um, to basically go to world championships, would you take it? Would you go out there right now and take it? And you say, absolutely, of course I would. 
And they said, well, why not when you get to the final game, you know, hope they make their last shots. You can actually go out there and make that killer blow and, and win the game and go to world championships or, or win a game at the Olympics, whatever it might be. You know, you want to make that last shot. It's like, it's almost like the kick after the siren. You, you dream for that. You don't dream for the opposition missing a shot on goal to, to win a game, you know? So that's, that's the whole mindset that we have into it. And hopefully they make all their shots and we just make ours a little bit better. I've got to ask the dumb standard Australian who hasn't watched a lot of curling question to you both. But when you're in a moment, say at the end of the sixth end in that first match, when, when you're 5-3 up, again, casual curling fan, I'm like, got it. This is in the bag. They're not going to lose it from here. But I can't imagine for both of you, you ever have that mindset. Because even in a match when, say, you're 7-1 up with two ends to go, anything can happen. So, I mean, I guess my long-winded question, is there ever a moment in a game of curling where you can literally say to yourself, I think we've got this, or can you never let yourself lapse into that way? Because, again, anything can happen. I'll put that to both of you there. Yeah, just with mixed doubles, it's just so nerve-wracking all the time. Even if you're, like, four up, going into the last end, and you're like, we got it. (laughs) There's still a chance for the other team to, like, you know, score four, go to an extra end kind of thing, and... I think, you know, just I've learned that never thinking you're safe is probably, you know, as soon as you think you're safe, that's where you kind of like lose focus a little bit and you go like start to make small mistakes that will cost you a big end. So, yeah, it's tough. And um, we've done a lot. We have done a lot of work um, off ice sort of going through like where's an ideal position to be in and at what point do we want to sort of have a two-point lead or, if we're down by two, what should we do from a strategical point of view? And there's definitely parts in the game that you want to, you know, ideally be up and it increases your chances of coming out with the win, but you're never safe in mixed doubles. And just because there's so much in play and it, it's such a cluster in the center, it's like you throw a big, massive hit and everything goes and suddenly you were sitting two on the button that were pretty locked. Now they're sitting four and you've got one out in the open and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> so, yeah, you're never safe in mixed doubles. Never safe. Dean, you can get that on a t- I think both of you get that on a T-shirt, basically. Never safe in mixed doubles. You know, <laughs> help fundraise towards Milan, right? <laughs> Probably a good idea. Um, yeah, no, we, you never feel safe, as Tali said. Um, I think the only time you do is if you've, if they've pretty much run out of rocks and they have mm. to concede, like that's pretty much the only time you feel safe or if you're five up going to last end with hammer, like <laughs> there's only a few situations where you truly feel safe. Um, and it, it's tough. And that's what's so good about mixed doubles. You know, the men's and women's, you can kind of be three up in that last end. You're, you're pretty much safe. Um, but no, not in doubles, not even close. <laughs> The thing that I learned the most from watching you both at the Olympics, I think, is that how bloody calm you two are. I just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like that, particularly that, that first match where I think all of Australia were like, oh, we're heartbroken. Like, how did they lose this? Like, you know, this is, this is devastating. And you two were just like, yeah, good game. Front media. Yeah, no, we'll back up for the next one. Like, but even I think once, and I can't remember which match it was, I think I saw one slight facial expression from you, Tali, of disappointment. Um, but like everything, even when all of a sudden the commentators are going like, oh yeah, no, that wasn't, that wasn't great. You're both like, oh, well, 
let's move on to the next one. Is that, <laughs> is that part of just mixed doubles curling or are you two just really good at being really calm? Because I'm telling you now, if that was me, I'd be, I'd be throwing brooms, I'd be, I'd be <laughs> kicking stones. Like I'd be shitty if I fucked up and you guys just, you'd never seem to have anything bother you both. Yeah, it's really, it's really something that I think we've both developed. Um, I used to get really affected by the outcome, like wins and losses. And it, I used to, you know, be like, oh, like it's a game we should have won. And obviously you definitely feel that. I mean, after the US game, I was kind of like, oh, I've literally played that shot so many times and made it so many times. But just with the, with the games <clears throat> and the Olympics and how back-to-back the schedule is, you really have to just park it and move on. And um, I'm surprised that I come across so calm because Dean, you know, I am so like, I have the worst That's news to Dean. <laughs> yeah, I have the worst poker face. And um, I feel like in interviews, I'm just like constantly a million emotions at once. And my face, I it, throughout school, I had these such bizarre facial expressions in class. So I'm surprised that you said that. That's actually really good to hear. No, but, it worked. Yeah, we just... all believed. We all believed, Hallie. Could you get, take up poker? Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I think uh, it's definitely what we said in the interviews is true you really just have to park it and move on I'm yeah I think, to... I think go <laughs> you go ahead what were you saying no 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 I was literally going to say I'd be intrigued Dean to see if you like fall into that but no it's like <laughs> take, take it um it was funny I was chatting to someone the other day and they said oh sometimes you don't actually see the outcome of the shot um on the on the coverage that's just not what you got to see they kind of cut over to someone's expression or something else and they said oh but as soon as they cut the tie's face you knew if it was a good shot or a bad shot <laughs> okay so there i do not have a poker face <laughs> i'm watching it differently i'm just I'm, I'm creating my own narrative clearly um <laughs> like i was giving nothing apparently but um yeah and that that's just that comes down to australian curling to be honest like i grew up like for three years i think in juniors never winning a game like not one game and like finishing dead last all the time so you learn what losses feel like and you just deal with it and have to move on to the next one and um i've always kind of thought about the game as a whole and thinking about okay you know we've actually played a really good game here and you've missed one shot it just happened to be the the last shot so if you miss that shot on the first end you'd be like oh whatever they scored one but because it's the last shot suddenly you have the emotions attached to it so i don't know Mm -hmm. for me it's just like it's one shot in the game and if you miss all the shots in the game well that just wasn't a good game but (laughs) if if you miss one shot out of many good shots well so be it that's just how it goes sometimes sometimes you make those last shots sometimes you don't but at least we put ourselves in a position to win the game and that's what we always want if you don't have a shot to win the game you've played the the wrong strategy you haven't played the game correctly so as long as you've got that last shot and you've got that chance to win the game, that's the most important thing. Which it obviously seems like a sport with just such a fine line because you lose three of the first four by one point. And, I mean, had they gone the other way around, you'd be, you know, three wins and one loss, different situation coming into those final two games. I mean, we could have easily been talking about you in, in the medal rounds. And I'm guessing that's quite common in, in mixed doubles curling that it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other where it can go either way. I mean, we saw with Italy, I mean, I, I know in sort of my limited knowledge of curling, but looking at the rankings and doing the research, and I'm like, well, they're the second-ranked lowest team, never won a medal in curling. Don't know if Italy are going to do well, so we won't really pay attention to them. Went on to go undefeated and win the gold medal. So is that 
generally what it is, and maybe Dean, I'll start with you in, in mix up. This is a common thing that, you know, lots of close games and, and throw one way or the other. And we could be talking to you a lot differently rather than losing the first five. You could have won the first five. Yeah. You look at um, mixed doubles and I think every team that was there said any team could win this and we have no idea who it might be. And literally everyone agreed to that because you just have no idea. It's just the type of format that it is that anyone can beat anyone on their given day. Um, which differs a lot from mixed doubles to men's and women's. Like you look at men's and women's and, you know, I think most people could have predicted the top four teams. Um, not sure which order out of those top four, but you know who those top four teams were. But yeah, you look at mixed doubles, you said like Italy, you wouldn't have expected them to win it, but you knew they could. And that's the difference. And I think um, that's what's so fantastic about the sport is a, a country like Australia can get up there and beat these top teams. And yeah, just looking forward to, you know, the next four years and potentially getting on that podium. That's what we want now. Tali, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think too, the field uh, for mixed doubles, it was so tight. Like, I think, you know, I would never have said that, like Dean said, a team would go undefeated. They totally smashed it. And yeah, I mean, they were on fire. And that's the kind of thing is that, if you're on fire and you're playing really well and playing really consistently, then you will get that result. But um, yeah, I mean, just the teams and the field was insane and really cool to be a part of too, just to know that we're up there mixing it with the best and, you know, giving them some really good games. So yeah, we weren't just there making numbers. We were there, you know, there to win. And yeah, like you said, it's a game of millimeters. It's a game of, you know, fine, like just, slight misses here and there and it's a tough tough pill to swallow at the time but you know that's the game that's why we love it that's why we play it because sometimes you're on the right side of it sometimes unfortunately you're on the wrong side so yeah hopefully next time it's a different narrative literally millimeters when it came to was it yes. the Canada Italy one when basically they're not mm. qualifying came down to wow that was that was absolutely insane watching that two that I wanted to touch on quickly uh, the game against Sweden. Now, the reason I bring up Sweden is I was watching this game in the Channel 7 studio. We're obviously cheering for both of you, but everybody, including myself, we all fell in love with Oscar Eriksson. This, <laughs> is this man the most beautiful man on the planet? Like, seriously, uh, I just we were absolutely enamoured. I mean, does this guy just glow radiance when you play? Are you distra- Are you both distracted with just how beautiful this man is? Seriously, I don't know. I don't swing that way, but I would for Oscar because, like, seriously, <laughs> I am just enamoured by this. And then off the podium, we gave him our athlete of the day just because we're like, wow, this guy is amazing. So... Um, I, saw that. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, is, is this, is this something that you can describe in person? How beautiful Mr. Erickson is when you're, and that's why you lost, right? You were just distracted by how perfect he is. Uh, I don't know. I, like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you know, he's a very attractive person. Um, but yeah, oh, just, he's a great player. Like really, he just throws some insane shots and, um, he's, he's a really great person too. Like he, he came up to us after the whole, like Marine were out debacle on the last day. And he's like, I'm so glad that you guys are out here playing and finishing it off. And just, you know, like he's, you know, so many people said that to us, but he's just such a nice person. And, um, he's kind of been, you know, at every event sort of in terms of worlds, like he was there in 2019, we played against him and Anna and 
he said had some really nice things to say to us about how cool it was that we're sort of doing this and being Australian and getting some results in curling and yeah he's just such a great person so for me his personality is like that's what makes him good <laughs> all right all right come on yeah thanks Tali but Dean come on join with me here I mean he's hot come on seriously personality personality whatever yeah. come on that guy is hot <laughs> No, no, he's a good-looking stallion, that's for sure. <laughs> he, um, I always refer to him as kind of like a Ken doll in how he's like groomed and everything, you know. So we were selling um, him as potentially the next James Bond or Superman. We think he's got that look, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think the other reason why I was thankful that we were out there was <laughs> we had to beat Canada in order for them to to get into playoffs. So I think he was very thankful we were there. Um, all oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why he was so nice. It was like, yeah. oh, God, I'm so glad you're there. And like, yeah, fuck it, Canada. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was pretty genuine. But, yeah, he's such a good guy and just an incredible player. I think a lot of people have rated him as the one of the most influential players for that event. So, um, yeah, really down-to-earth guy. But, yeah, he's a good looker. Yeah, he is definitely. And now he's a- but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you know, you never know. But uh, he um, <laughs> most decorated curler now in Olympic history with four medals, of course. Now, so um, yeah, he's he's definitely not only got the looks, he's got the skills apparently there too. But I mean, just on on the Canada match now, I one thing I'm actually disappointed for the the game against Canada is that it happened on a day where Australia won a gold and a bronze medal because seriously. I called this maybe the greatest sporting moment in Australian sporting history. Bugger Australia winning the America's <laughs> Cup, like qualifying for the World Cup back into like we beat Canada at the Olympics in curling. We should be having street parades. Scomo should be telling everybody who shows up the work tomorrow if they they get fired, they're a bum like this. This should be national holiday stuff, but oh Jakara had to go win a gold. Like thanks Jakara. Tess Wanabra oh just take away from this massive moment. Uh, but in all seriousness, <laughs> what is that like to beat Canada and to beat your coach? Like I mean, does did you do well because you know how he's gonna play? Or like I mean and also kind of help to eliminate them from the competition as we're saying. Dean, I'll start with you. I'm rambling again. But like that's that's a pretty epic moment to beat Canada at the Olympics in curling. Yeah, I suppose in just country v country, I think it was incredible that Australia can, you know, beat a, a country like Canada, which is such a huge curling nation. Um, but on the other side of things, you know, before the game, we had a really good atmosphere with the Canadians, everything, and then it went full business for both teams. <laughs> it was just like head down, focus on the game. Um, and for me, I actually didn't know what the importance was of that game for Canada's playoffs hopes anyway. <laughs> I I think I looked at the standings once throughout that whole event because I was just like, yeah, that doesn't change anything. Just end up at the at the event, at the game, you know, same preparation as usual. Um, so I didn't know that I actually potentially knocked them out, but <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't know that. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was such a, a weird game and a, a weird feeling afterwards too, you know. On, on one sense, just the pure relief that, you know, the event's over and we finished off with a couple wins on that final day being such a crazy whirlwind of a of a last day as well like it was just mental and you know having a few people in the crowd as well from australia cheering us on that was nice as well but you know playing against your coach it's i don't know i'm not a big fan of it to be honest (laughs) because you're such (laughs) good mates like for us you know he's our friend first and coach second and to play someone like that with you know such a close bond with us as it was yeah i don't i don't want to do that again um ideally we don't have to but you know um 
it, it's yeah it's just a funny feeling after that game you know beating them but you know just finishing off the the event in a in a positive sense and you know knowing we can leave the olympics with a head held high were you aware tali that the the, the what that meant for canada and the fact of you beating them could it could eliminate them at all were you aware as, at all no, I'm the same as Dean. I do not look at standings at all during events. Uh, I think it gets in your head and especially when you get down to the nitty gritty, it's just kind of like, what could happen here? And I just feel like for me, it's kind of a distraction. But on that too, we kind of didn't really have time to look at the standings. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Unpacking bags. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, like Dean, I, it was tough playing that game. Um, just from a like sort of that coach student relationship and obviously we're really good friends with John and um, yeah like he definitely treated us like family while we're in Canada so uh, I had no idea what that meant for them um, and yeah just I mean I just was so happy to just get out on the ice and play and um, I mean obviously it's very rare that you get to play against your coach so it was a little good of a little challenge in a way but yeah it was tough and especially afterwards you kind of you feel happy about the outcome but at the same time you're kind of like oh you know that was different it's a different feeling for sure which does is there any moments during that match where he's going to like quickly go past you and maybe just guys I wouldn't have thrown it that way remember what I told you like I mean uh, or is it purely just business like he's just like at the other end no I'm not going to say anything to you (laughs) It was business for sure, but you know he was there as an athlete, and we were there as athletes. So, um, yeah, but you know, like um, we, yeah, just kind of that. It was more of a friendship relationship at the games, and if we ran into him, it was you know how's it going and that kind of thing. But yeah, athlete too for sure. And no, no longer your coach. I can imagine now he he doesn't want you. To, he's like, screw you guys. You're not me out of the Olympics. I'm not. I'm not helping you anymore. You're too good. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's still working with us. <laughs> All right. Happy ending. Happy ending with that. Yeah, but just, no bad just blood. Quickly on sort of what happened in that last day. When are you sort of told that all of a sudden, eh, guys, uh, that whole COVID thing from a few days ago, yeah, it's back, Um, got to go home. Like how does that even happen? I mean, Tali, are you getting a phone call, knock on the door? Like what, what the hell happened and how did that all begin? Yeah, it was a phone call in the morning, Um, so – Basically, I got a phone call and just they just said, yeah, look, a um, couple of results came back positive and you will <laughs> not be playing today. Um, like it's kind of like it was kind of like this is what's happened and it's over. Um, and yeah, just like, um, you know, it's already kind of exhausting and I was in and out of isolation, the whole sort of game thing, the game period. So just that phone call and I was like, oh, just like, I didn't know how to feel. And I was like, "Mm, like, this is not how I want to end it. And then, you know, I knew that there was already a little bit of um, me. There was a lot of media at the start and now this is how we're going to end. I was like, "Mm." it was frustration and anger and like upset and again I was just in tears and I was on the phone with my family I was like um my bags are packed I'm coming home um so yeah and then all of a sudden it was like you guys are playing get your uniform on get in the taxi and go and I was like I literally like screwed I was like 
<laughs> my bag I was like fuck my bag's open I was throwing clothes everywhere and I found the uniform and um I found my like makeup my I didn't have my hairbrush so my hair was like a mess and yeah like not that that's important but um oh that's the important thing I'm sure Dean was doing the same <laughs> as well he was getting games, his makeup yeah. and hair and everything done as well so. a good couple hours to do that so <laughs> yeah yeah and so we get on the ice and I was just like we're here like in you know this could like we could have been on a plane and I could have been watching a movie on the plane home like crying my eyes out and we're here and and we're finishing off our campaign and um it's kind of funny I had like a brief second to message our sports psych message my parents I was like we're fucking playing get the tv on now I was like we're ready to go and that kind of thing so yeah I was like this is this is on people (laughs) message my boyfriend I was like turn your TV on, rod the TV, let's go. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just the conversation. I was like, oh, we're here. Let's enjoy it. Like, Bing Dwen Dwen's out there. We've got yes. the whole ceremony going. <laughs> you know the party's happening like, when Bing Dwen Dwen's there. Come on. <laughs> I know. He's doing all the things on the screen. He's a very talented little panda. So, yeah. He's the best. Like, <laughs> Him and Oscar Erickson, stars of the Olympics. Right yeah, there. I don't know who I like better. Right. They're both just so amazing. But having said that, I didn't see Oscar Erickson attempt to do a figure skating move and his leg fall off. So I'm giving it to Bing Dwen Dwen. I know, right? You can't go past Bing Dwen Dwen. So, yeah, that was just like the craziest emotion. I Yeah, it was just like a total, literally a roller coaster. I was like... Angry, sad, happy, frustrated, happy, sad, and happy again. I was like, what the heck? So by the time it got to it, I was like, that did not happen. We're on, we're playing, let's enjoy it. And let's let's give these two teams hell (laughs) in the nicest way possible. It worked. I mean, your last day, you're up against the the reigning gold medalists, the reigning silver medalists. You come out, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, you kick their asses. That's the Australian way. Uh, I mean, Dean, was this... How I mean, similar question I asked before, how were you dealing with this? And then we were saying on the show that getting COVID makes you better. Like we literally were <laughs> suggesting that t- if Tali had COVID, she should be going around kissing all the fellow, fellow Australian athletes so they can go out and win for the rest of the Olympics. So um, I don't know if you, you got on board with, with Jackie and, and gave her a bit of a peck on the cheek because she went on to win a silver. Good for her. Scotty James got the silver as well. So COVID was the, the key to uh, Australia's success <laughs> at the end there, I feel <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that. It's <laughs> very, very tough. And I think we're very fatigued by the end of it. But um, yeah, I think that last day, that was just purely running on adrenaline. Like the excitement that we had um, to, you know, grab our stuff, get our bags packed within, you know, the 15 minutes we had head to the taxi and literally just got on the ice, didn't do a warm up, just straight into it, not even a single lunge beforehand. And um, just the excitement that we had and we brought through that entire game. Um, I think paid off and yeah, we just wanted to finish off really strong and we we're so excited and we we're looking forward to those two games. And um, yeah, I think it, it just showed in like in our character on the ice and how we played and we're just so motivated to make every shot really good. And um, maybe we should do it more often and just like not even warm up, just run out there and go. I can tell you though that, yeah, the adrenaline was just running super high for that for the both those games and i think that kind of helped us a little bit but um yeah i think the the other games are definitely run on a bit of fatigue there you know not a whole lot of sleep those nights and just i think the worry about oh my god are we 
you know, are we not going to be able to play again? And um, is this test going to come back negative or positive? And um, yeah, just that kind of lingering thing in the back of your mind, not necessarily when you're on the ice, but just throughout the mm-hmm. day and night, you know, that was, that was pretty tough, but yeah, that final day was pretty special. That's for sure. And how important was that to both of you to leave with a couple of wins in your back pocket? Because obviously it had been a, you know, a pretty tricky tournament without a win, but was that extra important so that you didn't leave the Olympics with, you know, like we, we would say, I talked a lot to Joe and it was sort of, we knew how well you had been playing, but you didn't want to sort of look back in 10 years time and just look at a statistic sheet, not knowing how well you'd played to see, you know, that, that you'd lost every game. So, I mean, was that very important to come away with at least one or as you ultimately did win both of those last two games? I think it's always nice to finish, you know, winning a couple of games, especially just because there was, you know, so many games where we were so close Um so, you know, in my head, we were right in there with the chance to win on those ones. And unfortunately, you know, when you look at the at paper, it, it doesn't, you know, it's hard to sort of get that because there is the result there. But I think regardless of, of the outcome for those two games, it was just like, for me, it was so important, especially because going into our campaign, it was kind of, it was a really big thing for history. And just like for Australia, you know, we were like, um, they're representing Australia in curling for the first time. And that was kind of like the, like the hype around our campaign. And then to finish off, and I really didn't want it to define our campaign and why we were there in the first place. Like, oh, you know, we're out because of COVID and that sort of thing. So for me, that was the biggest thing. And I, def- I put up a thing on social media and I just said, this is not like before I found out we were playing again, um, I was like, this is not going to define our campaign. It's, it's going to, and I meant every single word. And um, it was not going to be our story. And, you know, that's not what it, what our campaign was about. So having the chance to play the last two games, regardless of the win loss, I was just like, this is, this is it. This is, this is how it'll be finishing off for us. Not you're on a flight. Cause couple of results came back on the wrong side so yeah I mean I was just glad that that didn't define our campaign in a roundabout way (laughs) similar for you Dean with that as well yeah pretty much I think uh, as Tali said we just didn't want to let it um overhaul what we'd already done there and um you know we were so close on on so many counts for so many games there and um you know, to actually finish off with winning some, knowing that we can, you know, in, inside beat them in those first few games, but actually doing it in those last couple, it just shows that like we can take it to all these teams and can beat all these teams that are there. So yeah, it just kind of gave us more motivation um, for the next four years and really try and push towards an actual medal in, in the next Olympics. Cause I'm pretty sure it's going to be a little bit easier in terms of circumstances, the next Olympics, who knows it might not <laughs> Hopefully. be. But hopefully, <laughs> touch wood, um, that's the case because it was a it was a wild ride there, and um, yeah, I was just I was just proud that we could actually play as well as what we did, and we actually could win some games, but also you know take it to all these teams that were there. Just a couple of things I want to touch on before we end the interview. Two part question for you, Tali. We're going to start with the sad, and we're going to start with the good. The sad. 
obviously Dean sort of touched on it before. You weren't able to do the opening ceremony, which I can imagine was very difficult. What was the reasoning? Was it just because of the whole testing situation that you were sort of maybe deemed a, a risk? And, and did you fight that? Are you like, no, fuck you. I'm walking out there. It's literally next door to where we're competing. Like, come on, I'm, I'm doing this opening ceremony. Yeah, so I was sort of in isolation from the start just because it was just a caution thing really um, just to make sure there wouldn't be any. It was mainly like we were there to get on the ice and that was sort of something that we just decided to do because we felt like it was the best way to go about, you know, minimising the risk and potentially, you know, putting us out of the event. So that was a decision that we made just to stay in isolation and, that sort of thing. So, and obviously I don't want to make any of the other athletes uncomfortable or anything. So, um, cause their campaign was important too. So, um, you know, even though I wasn't infectious or anything like that, um, <laughs> I said that so many times, but <laughs> just, just, you know, um, just that decision to stay sort of in isolation and my job was there to compete at the end of the day. So, anything i was willing to do anything just to make sure that that happened yeah but, obviously but it, it was sad it was difficult <laughs> to not be able yeah. to, to do it oh. yeah i mean just because i i just remember being a little girl and watching it on the on the tv and just going oh my gosh like that i want to be that athlete one day and walking out and sort of not having that chance and being right there. It was like, it was heartbreaking, but 2026, are we walking? I'm calling it now, given that they sort of have this, um, the new thing where you have a male and a female athlete carrying the flag. You two are a shoe in for Milan to carry the flag. Uh, And just also here and off the podium, we might not have a great track record for medalists post interview, but we're getting better. I'm just saying, but flag bearers, (laughs) Uh, all three flag bearers in, in Beijing had been on this show before for Australia. So yeah. uh, good track record for you guys possibly being flag bearers for Milan. So you're welcome. You can have that. Thank you. I wonder if that's what the AOC <laughs> looks for. It's like, oh, who's on off the podium? We need to choose. The AOC yeah. often <laughs> makes it us. Really. Absolutely. I think commonly. that's the criteria. Very <laughs> much so. Absolutely. Yeah. The the positive side, though, Tali, I wanted to ask, you mentioned Big Dwen Dwen. Did you get a Big Dwen Dwen? Because Big Dwen Dwen was sold out everywhere in Beijing. So did you at least try and get one? Or did you both manage to get a Big Dwen Dwen at all? Yeah, we got a little, like, um, Christmas ornament of Big Dwen Dwen. So very cherished. But, yeah, I think we've got a few other, like, little keyrings and stuff with Bing Duen Duen that was gifted to us. Um, so that was really cool. And just the memory of Bing Duen Duen there at the curling <laughs> venue and him waving to us, you know, that was really Come cool. Come on, Dean, you weren't thinking this interview was going to turn into discussion about Bing Bloody Duen Duen, did you? You're like, oh, <laughs> no, Ben's going to ask about curling. Uh, but, oh, I, Bing Duen Duen. I actually feel really bad for the other mascot, which I can't remember what the Shui name Ron is. Ron. Shui Ron Ron. Yeah, Shui Ron Ron. <laughs> Shui Ron Ron. <laughs> Didn't get a whole lot of coverage. Oh, um, he, he, he's time to shine at the Paralympics. Come on. He, yeah. he's, he's, he's up. Yeah. He's ready to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I... <laughs> not a big thing for me in terms of big anyway. <laughs> I'll be quite did you, honest. Did I've you get into one. the pins? Did you get into the pins at least? Like, did either of you, if you're not into the Bing Dwen Dwen, the pins at all? No, my plan was to actually do the pins kind of like the final couple of days we're going to be there. But because we left so quickly after the event, we didn't get a chance to, you know, swap uniforms or um, swap pins and things like that. So I've only got a couple of pins. You know, a lot of teams did trade them um, between games anyway, but 
yeah, just didn't get a chance this time. So next Olympics will make it all the more special, I reckon. All these reasons to qualify for another exactly. Olympics, right? It's, it's for a going that way. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to clear up too with you, Dean, is clear this up for me. Burritos. Is this something that <laughs> is because like I was watching one of the games and I swear you said burrito and everyone shut me down. They were like, no, 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 he didn't say burrito, he said finito or something along those lines. But you said burrito, right? And what is what is burrito? Give me an explanation about what this is. hundred percent it was a burrito. Yes. Um, <laughs> I knew I heard you it. You heard me right. <laughs> um No, I was just trying to lighten the mood up there and I think Pete came down and we kind of called a timeout and, you know, Ty and I were chatting. We'd already made a decision about um, what we wanted to do. And we kind of had a tight turn ra- turnaround with games and stuff. So I, we kind of were heading off as Pete was coming down. I felt bad. So I, I thought I better include him in a bit of conversation. And, you know, we'd been making these burritos and these little quesadillas and stuff <laughs> like that. And our village manager, Alicia, um, <laughs> she kept making these really good quesadillas <laughs> and so I was really feeling one at the time. So I said, oh, Pete, can you organize a burrito for us, please? <laughs> when we got back. So it was a bit of a shout out to both Pete and Alicia because he didn't get to say anything. So I said, well, hopefully you get to say something in the timeout, get a bit of TV time. <laughs> and you did. It worked. Burritos. Yep. Boom. Yep. There you go. Yep. I, I see. I, I thought I was going crazy and everyone shut me down. Like, the, there's no way they'd be saying burritos at the Olympics, Ben. This is the Olympics. And I'm like, he said burritos, like clear as day. So, okay. That's, that's, see, we're talking about these questions you never get asked before. There's another one for the list, like, you know, being yeah. asked about burritos and being Dwen Dwen. I mentioned before, Dean, about your dad obviously doing commentary for Channel 7. Uh, did you get much feedback about your dad's commentary and then kind of, at, since you've been back, have you watched it? And and kind of listen to some of the stuff because he did it. One thing I'll say, he did a fantastic job with Andy. I, I I like to explain them as kind of Andy Ma was the voice of Australia in the fact that he literally was all of Australia. Like, what's going on here, Steve? Why are they doing this? What's going on? I have no idea what's going on, but please tell us. And then your dad would come in and just like explain everything perfectly. So, I mean, uh, did you sort of get much feedback and yeah, check out much of his commentary? I heard really good things um, from both dad and Andy. Um, Andy was, as I said, kind of like the hype man. I think that's what you need. Um, you know, we're listening to some other games with other commentators and so many people have said, no, like Andy and dad were the best commentators there. So that was pretty special for him and he loves the experience. And um, they're already talking about Milano and Cortina to go over there. So um, that'd be pretty cool if, if they could, you know, commentate for us over there as well. But um, yeah, a lot of people are saying that Andy kept saying assaulting the button. That was his kind of his line <laughs> and saying different things that didn't quite make sense. But um, it's all the hype and the excitement. That's what you want. You need to have these good commentators there to, to, you know, really bring the game up for what it is. And yeah, just can't say enough for the commentators. And <laughs> the funny thing was like every game, I'd actually try and give a little shout out to dad, like a little comment. <laughs> in the hack or something like that. And they'd be like, Hey dad, what do you reckon of this one here? <laughs> Cause like, he can't talk back to me. I've got no clue about what he's saying at the time, but um, I think only about half of those actually got through the broadcast. Either they were chatting at the time or our mic friends were off at the time. So hopefully it kind of came through the broadcast a little bit. <laughs> One of my, my best experiences when I was working with Channel 7 is that I sort of finished my shift in studio and literally as I was walking out, your dad was walking out of the commentary booth. So I was, And I, I can't remember which match it was, one of the ones you'd lost, and I sort of said, like, oh, like, how are you feeling? Like, there was, it was a close one, I remember. And he, he was just chilled and he's just like, yeah, no, well, could have done this, could have done that, could have done this. And the thing that, like, fascinated me was he was like, yeah, I could, I could tell that um, 
they weren't throwing very well at the end because it's their grip. It's all about their grip on the stone. I always say it's about squeezing toothpaste and it was too tight. It was too tight on the stone. And I'm like, that was fascinating. I didn't understand that. So it was kind of that little insight. But your dad, I mean, God, I can see why you guys are so calm, particularly Dean, because like he's just, he's chill himself. He's just like, yeah, you know, they can do this, they can do that. And, but no, it was, it was kind of really fascinating to be able to have that insight. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was really cool having him there and having, having an Aussie, like both Aussie, um, accents and people, you know, having dad that had played the game, I think they really complemented each other really well. And, um, cause you can get like other commentators who come from other countries and let's say the Canadian commentators, they wouldn't explain any, any of that or what the general public is actually thinking. So I think it was really smart how channel seven did that. Tali, they showed a lot of footage. I think it was particularly in the first uh, game or two of sort of your family having sort of watch parties and everything along those lines, which was, was pretty cool to be able to, to see that as well. I mean, did you sort of get much feedback from people watching at home going like, oh, I saw your mom, saw you did do that? Or like, uh, did you get a chance to kind of see just all the, the, the watch party footage and everything about the support you were getting back home? Yeah, I saw a bit of it on Instagram. So that was really cool. And um, they, my friends all made t-shirts and that was really cool too. So yeah, it was really nice to see the support and um, yeah, just like, having that excitement from home it's really special and yeah the watch party looked fun I was like damn I wish I was there um yeah a little bit of FOMO but obviously they're watching us we're at so the Olympics though don't know how that, mm. yeah no possibly I just love having a good time um but yeah no it was really cool to see that and yeah like just so much positive stuff on on social media and so much positive things from different people and people I've never met and people who are saying this is the first time I've watched curling and thank you so much for introducing it to us and it's so great to see an Aussie team there it's really really nice and supportive from so many different people did you get many of your um friends from high school messaging you saying like oh sorry for calling you that curling girl in high school like now you're an olympian so that this is kind of something that we can backtrack on after all these years yeah there's a few people from high school being like oh i remember you talking about curling and now you're there it's really cool and we have this like facebook page for our cohort and i didn't know because i deleted facebook like just the app while I was there just because I thought, you know, it's one less distraction. And one of my friends WhatsApp me, she's like, they put up a whole post about you being at the Olympics. And there's messages saying like, congrats from people I have not spoken to for six years. So <laughs> yeah, it was just nice to know that uh, we were quite a close cohort in the way that, you know, you didn't necessarily know everyone or close with everyone, but just everyone was always, you know, fairly nice to each other. So to have that support so many years later from people I've not really kept in touch with. It was really nice. Fantastic. Dean, did you get anything similar at all? As Nothing. Well? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no one gives a shit about Dean. Oh. You know, <laughs> come on. High school no, no. was back in the black and white days. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. Lord. I'm old. Um, no, uh, I got quite a few messages and even um, students that are there at the moment who've never met me, obviously, and said, oh, that's really cool. And they want to come and try it. And, um, a lot of teachers as well who flicked me a message and want me there to do a chat now. So that's going to be pretty cool going down there and chatting to all the other um, students there and hopefully getting a few recruits out. Um, we need some more juniors, that's for sure. But yeah, it was cool. Like all the messages you get from people that you haven't spoken to in years. And like even my family, they were getting messages from people they haven't spoken to in 30, 40 years um, back home. So 
it's it's pretty special um all the people that kind of tuned in and have actually watched a lot of games like even going to work and people are like oh my god i watch every single one of your games and i'm like i don't even know what your name is um <laughs> <laughs> no but shout out to them by the way most of them know their names but uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Which I guess moving forward now, the I guess the three main things at this point, obviously the time of recording this year, about what, a month and a half or so away from world champs. And we've got obviously the next Olympics to look forward to in 2026. But the one key thing that has come from this, of course, is the potential to get a dedicated curling rink in, in Australia. I know we talked a little bit about that last year, but is, is this something now that you think can actually get this traction? And I mean, have you guys had any whispers or, or, or rumors again the, the rink in Hobart still for sale you, you're welcome to buy that because I think we need to we need to get the Hewitt and Gill curling center up and running because we know mm-hmm. it's going to be named after you both let's if it it has to be like I'm on it's it's rule but I mean yeah either of you want to chime in here if there's been any sort of traction or, or movement on the potential of this there's a lot more talk now um, yes. about rinks so um, you know there's even an ice facility in Canberra being built so hopefully we can get like a curling rink attached onto that maybe. Um, so there's, there's a few different things popping up, um, and potential rinks kind of inquiring about it. So yeah, I really do hope we get some dedicated ice over, you know, in Australia, because that's one of our biggest goals from actually getting to Olympics in the first place was to get a dedicated rink. Cause that's what we need. We need, um, not for just ourselves, but for all of the Australian curlers and all the people who've never even tried curling before, we need that curling rink there to be that stepping stone and, you know, hopefully we can get some big events there too. Like if we can get a big corporate company to help out, you know, fund that or some investors to fund it and get, you know, big events down here, get a world championships or, a, you know, any kind of event down here, tour events. Um, I know a lot of people from Europe and North America and Asia who would love to come down here, play a tour event in Australia, then go down to New Zealand and play one there. Like it just make, makes so much sense now if you can kind of work together with New Zealand as well to, to get big top teams down here. And um, yeah, really excited that we're getting closer in terms of a rink, but, you know, hopefully it's not just one rink. Hopefully it's a rink in all the big capital cities too. Don't, not, don't work too closely with them, Dean, just because they've won more gold medals than us at the Olympics now, so we don't <laughs> want to help them out um, too, too much. Tali, I can imagine though that when, once this centre gets built, as I said, it's going to be called the, you know, the the Hewitt Gill Centre. Then you can really sort of message those friends in high school and be like, "Hey, curling girl who's got her own bloody curling centre named after her now." So like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that would be huge and like epic for for the curlers that are like Dean said. I'll just I was pretty much going to go over the same thing Dean was, but I think just for the growth of the sport and. I know that when Dean and I were juniors, it was it was hard to stay so motivated and dedicated when you're playing on hockey ice and you just want to get out there and train on good ice and you'd go over and once a year um, as a junior and play against such amazing teams on such amazing ice and then you go back and you're on hockey ice and you have to scratch in the the <laughs> rings for the, just to play and you just – you just were like, oh, I just really want our own dedicated curling rink somewhere in Australia. And like Dean said, not just one, like one in every capital city would be amazing and really awesome. So, yeah, I think over the next few years, really pushing for that and just keep growing it. I think as soon as we get that that curling rink in Australia, it would just grow the sport so much and people will be able to come and do it socially and then, yeah, like Dean said, get those big events over and people from North American Europe are so keen to come to 
down under and play at both Australia and New Zealand. So yeah, that, that really would be huge. And I think just amazing. And I don't know if it'll be named after us. It doesn't matter. It I just, will be. You Come know, on. It, just, it will be. <laughs> I, I don't know, but yeah, just being, just having that would be epic and really important for, for the sport. I keep pushing things for Brisbane 2032, given that, again, it will technically be a Winter Olympics being held in July. So uh, we could have <laughs> curling at Brisbane 2032 and then they would have to bring uh, build a, a, a facility there. So home, technically, very much a home rink then for you, though, Tartley. So, I mean, you know, simple. You're still young, 10 more years in you, easy. Two <laughs> things to close out the interview with. Now, I feel we're all friends here. You know, this is the second interview. We're chilled. You know, we're, we're talking about Bing Dwen Dwen and all these kind of fun things. So I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you both, but then I've got a big praise to end this uh, interview with. Uh, friends quotes, guys, what the fuck happened? Come on. Um, like, well, like I, I was sitting there every single time. I'm waiting. I'm going. I'm like, come on, here it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Nothing. Now, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. Disappointed. I'm sure we did. I'm sure there's a We were saying we Unagi. Yeah, oh, those, Unagi a few when the times. microphone was off, potentially. Uh, I, just, yeah. It must have been because, 100%. no, seriously, because I would swear my head off. Like, I was throwing F bombs <laughs> left, right, and center while I was mic'd up. And then everyone back is like, oh, you guys never swore once. It was great. And I never heard like, the swearing. That's one thing I would have loved to hear. That would have been great. <laughs> so I blame it on Tali then for muting all our microphones because you're swearing too much. So every time, every time Tali's gone, fuck, 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 Dean's going like, Unagi, Unagi. <laughs> <laughs> like Tali, come on! This is what we're meant to be doing off the podium. What are you talking about? <laughs> we did. That was like halfway through. We're so sorry. I mean, to be fair, without making excuses, we did go through a lot. <laughs> did you? No, but... nothing. And I didn't want to drop it at the start because I figured if I drop it at the start, then you're not going to watch the rest of the games. You go, oh, job done. We're fine. So I had to leave it a little bit later so you could actually like keep listening out. You see. It was tactical. No, no, look, you've got you've got four more years <laughs> we'll work to work on, on that. Yes. Four more years yeah. to work on that. But the, the the praise. All right. I tried curling while I was in Melbourne. Um <laughs> that shit's hard. Uh, I, I said to you guys, I think when I first had you on that I'm disappointed you're gonna take my spot as the first ever Australian Olympic curler. Yeah, I've got no chance. Um the sweeping, <laughs> I'll say. Sweeping didn't really have much of a problem with. Having said that, not very fit. Dean, I saw how hard you were working during the Olympics. Not going to go there. The, I, I could not, for the life of me, push off. You ask anyone at the ice house how embarrassing I was. Like I got the stone like just past the first bit, and I'd fall over and that. So, props to props to you and any curlers because that shit's hard, not easy. So, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of good when you hear that because a lot of people think that curling's really easy. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, definitely not. But it's, it's also on that, though, I think the night that um, I went, they were mentioning that they hadn't had that many people show up for a come and try night before. Clearly, they all listened off the podium. That's why they were there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, <laughs> it's obviously great to hear things like that, that it's not just obviously in Melbourne. I think there's been some other come and try nights across the country as well. But, I mean, on the, the page of getting a dedicated rink, in the meantime, you're seeing people interested in it. So are you both hearing sort of feedback and getting invited? I know, Dean, you're about to do a sort of attend one of the come and try nights, but are you both sort of seeing that pick up in the meantime as well? Definitely. I think just on social media, like seeing, from, I know what's going on in Brisbane and there's definitely been, I think the other night we had 32 people and, um, I actually went to one of the common tries like the day after I got back. So yeah, it was, it was really cool to see, to see so many people and actually some people who hadn't seen it on the Olympics, just, you know, their friend had, and they said, come with me, let's try it. And it's just such a unique sport. So 
Yeah. And I think just having that, you know, we saw it on the Olympics and it looked really cool and not necessarily the mixed doubles or us, but other teams like for the the men's and women's and, you know, just ha- hearing that and having such a great turnout. And then for me, seeing it, all the people coming and trying in WA and Melbourne and just hearing what's going on in Melbourne from Dean, it's really, really cool to see that obviously after the Olympics we do have such a huge growth and interest and then it sort of dies down and picks up again but I think this has been from my memory and my time being around curling it's been the biggest interest like spark of interest since the Olympics so that's really really cool great yeah like I've been through a a few Olympic cycles um in terms of you know come and try and those sorts of things yes Talia I'm old again um (laughs) and yeah, you, you kind of see there's a natural spike after the Olympics, but this has been the biggest one for sure. Like without a doubt, there's a lot more people coming out to try. We've had to add on another beginners league, which has been fantastic because that's one of the the hurdles, I suppose, for those people coming out and trying is they come out once and they're like, oh, I don't want to join a league because those people look good. Hmm. But having this beginner league is that stepping stone in between and we kind of learn curl programs and then you can actually get into um, league if you'd like and, I think it's good, you know, in terms of the leagues we have at the moment, it's very social and, you know, the best players play with beginners too. Like we don't actually have just the best teams playing, you know, against the weakest teams. They're all kind of mingling amongst each other and um, kind of combined to form a team anyway. So I think it's, yeah, it's fantastic for the sport. And even like I got a message from someone in New Zealand saying they're coming try numbers are through the roof now. And they're talking about, right. you know, these Aussies that were there and like, oh, we need a Kiwi team there now. Um, <laughs> Cause they haven't had, they had a team like 16 yeah, years ago. Why were they doing it back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's just great. And it's, it's fantastic seeing so many people out there and giving it a go, but no doubt if we can actually get a dedicated rink, we can actually run these things, you know, at regular times rather than late at night or some awkward weekday sessions. Um, it, it just makes such a difference to get, you know, schools in there now, you know, I've, I was listening to them and they're saying they're getting a bunch of schools through to come and try. And I know that a few years ago um, before COVID, there was like one year where they I think they had a, nearly three and a half thousand corporate people through you know, that's, that's staggering how many people they can get through in a year. And you just imagine if you've got unlimited ice time at a dedicated rink, like how, how many of those people actually transition from just coming out to try it to actually in a league and try and actually enjoy themselves playing the game. And um, yeah. And even trying to go to that elite stage if they want to as well. Fantastic. Yeah. It's good to see that. And I'm pretty sure that uh, by the time we do have the Gillen Hewitt Ice Centre going up, that we'll be uh, training uh, everybody up there to go. And I will say, if there's a if there's a tier below the beginner league, like maybe the the really really shit league, I'll join it. Um, so, but I, having said that, uh, the one the one game I did play, my team won. I didn't really contribute, but technically undefeated in curling. So there you uh, go. Even there you, you go. two can't say that. So hey, nope. look at me. Not even I am, close. I'm officially better than Dean and Tarly. So I'll retire. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. 100%. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> done. Guys, best of luck for the, the world champs. Obviously, the time we're recording this, it's a little bit away. Uh, when when do you head off? Like sort of where, what's the plan and where are the, the world championships? So they're in Geneva this time around and we're probably heading off around the 10th of April to get a little bit of extra training in and rehash some of the things that we've been practicing over the last five months and yeah, just get back into the groove of things again and then, yeah, competing and 
hopefully and the goal is to be on the podium so but you know like obviously making sure we're in top 16 still but yeah we're just so so motivated going forward and just for every single event you know we want to be up there and um giving it a you know we're we're just going to see what we can do from here on. And I think I feel really positive about all the things that we're hopefully going to achieve. So, so motivated of so many different things to do with curling and the growth of it and our development and, you know, really pushing for, for lots of things now. So it's really cool to be a part of It's exciting times and it's really fun. The next four years will be great. Too many times on off the podium. So being on the podium mm. would, would work a treat there. <laughs> That worked. Yeah. That worked. I, I think that, worked. <laughs> that, 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 that that did uh, that did very very well there, guys. Always always a pleasure to have you on the show. We wish you all the luck in the world champs, and no doubt get you on in the lead up to Milan, and and cheer you on all the way through there as Australia goes a little bit curling crazy. But guys, thank you so much, and please say hi to Oscar for me next. Uh, <laughs> d- d- just just send send a little hello from off the podium. Just you can do it. Will do. Sure thing. Yeah. Sure thing. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> and a massive, massive thanks to both Dean and Tali. There, such a pleasure to have them on the show. And if you missed our first chat with Dean and Tali, as I said. Back in uh, 2021, we did that chat not long after Tokyo, so you can check that out. And if you want to see the video version of this interview, of course, YouTube, uh, find Off the Podium on there, subscribe to our channel, and you'll see all our great video interviews there. But lots, lots to take in on that chat. As I said at the top, Bing Dwen Dwen, always a good talking point. And yeah, I am not going to be a curler anytime soon. Let's just point it out. And also burritos confirmed. Thank you to all those who doubted me that Dean talked about burritos. He did. So I always like to be proven that I'm right every now and then. Thanks to Dean and Tali for their time. We've got some more great interviews coming up in the coming weeks. Stay tuned to our social media to really see who we do have coming on the show. And of course, if you are on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's how you can stay up to date with the search for Off The Podium. You can like, you can follow on either of those platforms or all three of those platforms, I should say. And while you're online, if you never want to miss an episode, subscribe, all good podcast platforms, search for Off The Podium. We love to hear what you think of the show. You can uh, leave some feedback, send us some questions, whatever you like to do on there. And we definitely appreciate the support. And we thank you for sticking with us in a post-Olympics world as we obviously now have a couple of years away until we get to the next Olympics, but plenty to keep you occupied. Interviews, other major sporting events, as always, we've got the Commonwealth Games and we've got the World Cup coming up this year, which we'll do a couple of special episodes on. So uh, stay tuned for that. Big thanks again to Dean and Tali. As always, a shout-out to Jason Momoa. Until we next speak again, my name is Ben. Put a sock in at Mountain and remember, go left. Go left.